global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Catherine Cowdery. The stock market is retreating on track for its biggest drop in more than a month as investors turn risk-averse. Stocks have fallen from Japan to Europe as oils plunge into a bear market renews global growth concerns. Consumer companies are taking big losses as investors worry about the health of the U.S. economy. A report reinforced concern that American consumers are losing power as wage gains remain sluggish. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. Dow Industrial Average is down 82 points, four-tenths of a percent, trading at 18,322. S&P 500 down 12 points, six-tenths of a percent at 2,158. The Nasdaq is down 39 points, three-quarters of a percent at 5,144. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil down 46 cents a barrel, 1.1 percent to 39.60. Spot Gold up $12.50 an ounce at 13.72.10. Ten-year Treasury down 5.30 seconds with a yield of 1.54 percent. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Catherine Cowdery, thank you so very much. It is time now for the ETF report brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Crops, agricultural commodities, and rainfall. Maybe there's an ETF that can help you make a bet how on all of that is going to work out. Catherine Cowdery is back with today's ETF report. Investors have turned against three of the largest U.S. crops, betting that timely rainfall will further increase supplies of corn, wheat, and soybeans. Hedge funds and other money managers are now holding a record wager on further declines for wheat. Sal Gilberti, president of Tucrium Trading, recommends taking a longer-term view of agricultural commodities through the use of his firm's exchange-traded products. Long-term trends in corn along with uh, soybeans and wheat are that usage continues to increase. It's, it's primarily driven by population growth. Globally, the population expands by roughly 75 to 78 million people per year. It's the equivalent of the population of California doubling every year as new added population on the planet Earth. Gilberti makes the case for corn, saying it's used for fuel to fill up your tank. It's also in animal feed and is used to make paper and those recyclable plastic cups. Gilberti maintains that ETNs that focus on agricultural commodities should be included in a diversified portfolio. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. What do drug and discount stores in Japan, real estate in Germany, and a global food company based in Switzerland all have in common? Well, they're the focus of our next guest, Paul Markham, Global Equities Portfolio Manager of the Newton Dreyfus International Equity Fund, the symbol there, S-N-I-E-X, and he is from Newton Investment Management, helping to manage more than $1 billion of customer assets. He's based in London, and he joins us now. Paul, thanks very much for being with us. Tell us the strategy uh, that you main, that you uh, that you use to manage uh, this fund because it is global in nature and it covers a wide variety of companies. Yes, that's right. Uh, good afternoon, and uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, to be with you. Um, Yes, the, the fund is essentially a, a, an international equity portfolio, which means that it uh, invests around the world, excluding uh, securities or equities in, in, in the U.S. 
um, we try to uh, diversify the portfolio and have a wide range of geographies um, and uh, sectors represented. But we do uh, use a thematic backdrop of those big changes which we see socially, politically and economically that we think will influence markets over time. And we allow that to drive our stock selection. And we have a fairly focused portfolio of around 60 stocks on the fund. You have a lot of big trends to help you now, of course, with the U.S. Fed Reserve maybe starting to continue on a path of tightening and the Brexit vote and the Bank of England. I'm just fascinated, though, by the Bank of Japan and this big, big turnaround we've seen in uh, Japanese government bonds. Uh, the Bank of Japan not going pedal to the metal on more monetary stimulus, saying we're going to think about what we're doing. Uh, we got the details on the fiscal plan from Prime Minister Abe. What do you make of what's going on in Japan? What does it mean for the the markets there and, and basically your your global portfolio strategy? Well, I think that uh, you're very right to put Japan in the context of what could happen globally because what we've seen quite often with many developments in the macro economy is Japan really leading because it's been the first major uh, economy to really have the problems of demographics really coming into play, for example. And so what we're seeing is the Bank of Japan really uh, throw the ball back into the court of the Japanese government. So what we're seeing is uh, the potential of um, monetary policy uh, perhaps not being um, as strong a, uh, an emphasized tool um, of, of, of economic policy going forward and maybe more of an expansion on the fiscal side. And what that means um, in the near term and what we've been seeing over the last few days is that the market has uh, anticipated that the BOJ will no longer be buying um, as many government bonds and also potentially that the, uh, the fiscal burden for the Japanese government will expand. So bond yields have really um, uh, become far less negative. We had a very significant move in Japanese government bonds uh, over the last few days, and that's been positive for the yen, and we suspect that will also be negative for the market going forward, given the Japanese market tends to be dominated by export-oriented uh, uh, companies. Uh, Paul, uh, the performance of the fund, uh, it's up uh, about uh, two and a quarter percent uh, in one month. Year to date, though, down about two uh, percent. And in the context uh, of Japan, I'm wondering if you could maybe give us a little thought about why some of these holdings uh, are in the fund. Japan Tobacco, Don Quixote Holdings, uh, you've also got a holding in Japan Airlines. Are you betting that the Japanese economy will continue to prosper despite this lackluster stimulus package? What we've really tried to do on the portfolio is to let the um, thematic backdrop, which we see as being a uh, continued very sluggish, a chronic sluggishness uh, in the Japanese economy, and indeed across many of the developed markets. And what that's led to is us to believe that in many cases, companies which are uh, firstly perhaps focusing on the lower end consumer or companies which have exceptional return characteristics will um, prosper in this environment. So Don Quixote, for example, is um, the Japanese equivalent, really, of a dollar store, um, and it's run very much for profit with very much more efficient operating metrics than its competitors uh, domestically in Japan, much more like a Western company, if you will. Um, on the, for example, Japanese Airlines investment case, this is a, uh, a company which is very different to global airlines. It has twice the operating profit, operating margin of many of its global competitors. It has a high dividend yield. The government uh, took it out of bankruptcy and uh, made sure that its pension liabilities no longer were on its balance sheet. So this is something which we see as being very much a special situation. Um, and finally, a company such as Japan Tobacco, um, for many years, a company with um, substandard returns relative to competitors in the U.S. 
US or in the UK, for example, but a company with exceptional global brands, we think a very strong management team and rising cash returns. And I think in this environment of financial repression and very low bond yields, I think high dividend yield will continue to be for global investors um, uh, an attractive uh, phenomenon, even if in the near term, we may see some upward pressure on bond yields, which may see some of those yielding stocks do a little bit uh, less well in the market. Bank of England, big meeting on Thursday. Uh, they passed on the rate cut in July. Many, I mean, it's almost 100%. They've got to do it and then give us more details about their plan. Um, equities, companies in the UK, is that an area to stay away from? How do you deal with that right now if you don't know how Brexit's going to play out? Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, the Bank of England's um, sort of quandary is, is pretty clear, I think. Um, what we've been seeing in the last couple of days is some comments from former uh, Monetary Policy Committee members at the Bank of England who have suggested that um, Governor uh, Carney doesn't have too much uh, possible further monetary stimulus to, to, to create. Um, I guess at you know, a current policy rate of half a percent, we could potentially, and we did originally expect post-Brexit, to see a cut to zero. Um, what I think is becoming clear is that the, the, the post-Brexit data has got worse, but we haven't yet seen enough data to justify that full jump down to a zero interest rate, um, uh, repo zero interest rate policy. So what I think will um, be bothering the Bank of England is the idea that they could cut rates completely to zero, and then we see a deterioration in real estate uh, and the consumer economy um, further down the line. And that will then mean that they have very little room to cut rates any further. So what I suspect may happen is that they may go halfway. Um, they could uh, go for a 25 basis point cut or maybe something, you know, unorthodox like a 10 basis point cut. Um, but at this moment, it does seem that the, the market is rather betting on a disappointing rate cut from the Bank of England, given the strength of sterling over the last few days. On the subject of the equity markets uh, in the UK, it is interesting to see that we've had a really strong uh, rally post um, the, the sort of Brexit collapse. And largely, I guess, that is to do with the fact that the, um, the, the FTSE 100 in particular is 70% uh, oriented towards exports. Um, and that's something which has been very helped by, much helped by a weaker sterling. However, looking forward, um, it certainly seems that the, the prospects for the UK economy uh, in the near term are uncertain. Uh, it may be that over a much longer period of time that the UK is able to establish itself once again as a you know, very major player on the world stage. And certainly we've seen so far quite a lot of interest from um, many major international trading partners to put some sorts of trading agreement in place. But that can't happen until the, the, the Brexit um, process is finished, and that will, could take some time to do. So I think the UK economy will be, um, uh, you know, certainly in, in, in a doubtful place for a period of time. The market, I suspect, will act quite cyclically. It may well be a kind of risk-on market for the next um, year or two. Um, and in the, in the near term, it does feel that maybe there is scope for a little bit of disappointment after a strong run. Paul Markham, thank you so very much. Looking at the global macro picture, such a big factor for global equity markets and also some of the individual holdings in his portfolio. He's Global Equities Portfolio Manager for the Newton Dreyfus International Equity Fund. Well, movers and shakers are coming up on Bloomberg Taking Stock. Dave Wilson, our stock setter, will be joining in. I'm Kathleen Hayes along with Pim Fox, and this is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.